Is joy just the wrapping around our salvation, this extra added bonus, or is it absolutely essential? Open up to Luke chapter 2. This was read for us earlier. I just want to look at one key verse. Luke chapter 2, actually two verses, verses 10 and 11. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I hope on Christmas morning you open up to these early chapters of Luke and read with your family the story of Christmas. I hope you do that. I think it's important for us to keep Christ in Christmas. We talk about it all the time. We, we fight for people to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. But how many of us open God's Word on Christmas at the very least and read the actual Christmas story? That's one of the big ways we're going to keep Christ in Christmas. Whether the world says Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas, let's make sure us as Christians are going to the text, to the very Word of God, and looking at what God is saying. And I would say that the things that are said by angels, by the shepherds, the things that are declared to Joseph and to Mary and to the whole world are absolutely important. Jesus is the greatest king, the greatest leader, the the savior that was born to the world. So those things that are said about him are really important and we need to take notice. So look at verses 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 2. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So is joy simply the wrapping paper of Christmas or of salvation? Or is it absolutely essential? You think about a gift, kids. Maybe when you were a kid and you, you think about when you were younger and you just, you wanted that certain toy for Christmas. Maybe it's still that way. I, I always, you know, I want that tool. I want that very specific tool. I need it for this project. I hope that my family got the hints and that they're going to get me that tool. And you're looking at all the packages. You're thinking which one's the right one, about the right size. Maybe that's it. Now, on Christmas morning, I know for my kids and probably for me as well, I'm not really concerned about the wrapping paper. That's what makes it look pretty under the tree, right? You want what's inside there. You want to rip into that, get rid of the wrapping paper, throw it away to get to the gift. Some people turn Christmas or present wrapping into an art form. It's like this, you know, holiday origami. How do you get it in there? Especially the oddly shaped things that you really have to get creative with how you're going to fold it and how you're going to package it. So we pour all this time and effort into wrapping the gifts, and then people just tear it apart, throw it away. There are some, and and I'm curious if there's any here, you know, there are some that lift every piece of tape up really carefully, you know, and they carefully unfold it, and then they fold it back up and set it to the side. Does anybody do that with the wrapping paper? Anybody? B, you do? You're a tape lifter? I'll pray for you. (laughs) I gotta say, when, when like in my family, we go around and take turns. So each person opens a gift in turn. And unfortunately, we don't have anybody that's a tape lifter because that would drive me nuts. Like, come on, open it already. We love you, B. Though you you be who you are. Don't worry about it. 
just rip the paper. So my question, though, is when you get to those gifts, when we get to any gift, is the wrapping paper what's important or is it the actual gift? You know, sometimes when we tear off the wrapping paper with certain things, there might be a a little bit of the gift, a little piece of a toy or maybe the batteries or something that were wrapped with it and you're throwing away the wrapping paper and you end up throwing away part of the toy. This is huge drama on Christmas morning for parents. You know, where is that part? Oh, it's in the trash and you're going through all the bags. I think, and here's my fear, if we think that in the Christian life, joy is simply the wrapping paper. It's this outer shell, it's this covering, or it's this added bonus that if you get it as a Christian, if you can have joy, man, that's great, that comes from knowing Christ, but if not, it's okay, we just need to hold on to the truth, and, and maybe joy will come and it doesn't matter. And we say it's just the wrapping paper, and then we sort of can throw it away with the rest of the wrapping paper. I'm going to suggest this morning that joy is actually an essential part of the present that God has given us in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely vital to our relationship with Christ. It is not some petty or pretty wrapping to look at. It's not something that is optional. In fact, I would say it is something that as Christians, we need to fight for joy. We need to fight for joy in our lives. We need to fight for joy in our families. We need to fight for joy in our church. And that may seem weird to say fighting for joy, but I think it's that important to go after it and say, I will choose joy. I will fight for joy. Jesus didn't treat joy as something unnecessary or unimportant. Open up to John chapter 15. We're going to be flipping around quite a bit this morning. So I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, you can use the one in the pew in front of you. And as I said earlier, I I hope you read the Christmas story on on, uh, Christmas morning. And if you don't have a Bible to do that from, take ours. Take it home. Use it. Read it. Dig into this incredible message of salvation. John chapter 15. I want to read verse 11. And before I do that, let me give you a little background. You might see the subheading in your Bible. Uh, Mine says the vine and the branches. This passage, chapter 15, verses 1 through about 17, is about Jesus using a, a metaphor of vine and branches to help us to understand the relationship that God wants with us through Jesus Christ. And he says, just as a branch must stay connected to the vine, so we are connected to God through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And and the metaphor is that the life of the vine flows into the branches. What belongs to the vine belongs to the branches. That's how close our connection is. That's how intimate our relationship is through Jesus Christ to God the Father. So that all that belongs to God belongs to Christ and also is given to us through salvation. And so in the midst of this profound message about the Christian life, Jesus says this in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? He's not just saying, hey, I hope this helps. hope it makes you kind of happy. I hope it makes you feel a little bit better. I hope maybe sometime down the the line from, from moment to moment, if possible, you get a little joy out of this. 
He's saying, this is why I'm telling you this. I want you to have joy. And joy is to be found through this relationship with God the Father, through Jesus Christ. Jesus did not consider joy as optional in our relationship with him. It is absolutely vital. Webster defines joy as an emotion evoked by well-being or success, the prospect of possessing what one desires, the expression or exhibition of such emotion, the state of happiness or felicity, a source or cause of delight. And as I I look at that and I boil that all all down, I, I came up with kind of three things that joy is directly related to. Joy is directly related to the greatness of the desire. Okay, If I'm a little bit hungry because maybe lunch is delayed a little bit and I kind of want a candy bar to make me feel better, when I get that candy bar or if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I heard you were hungry, I've got, I've got a Snickers for you. I like Snickers. Comes up says, I've got a Snickers for you. I'd be like, oh, I have joy. I desired something to eat. I got a candy bar. I have joy. I had a bit of desire. I get something that is helpful And so I have joy. So that's one kind of joy. Now imagine I was wandering in the wilderness for 30 days, lost, with no food whatsoever. And I'm dying. And and for like the past three weeks, all I can think about is food. I need food. I'm so hungry. I'm dying inside. Can you imagine the desire for food? And then finally, I come up to a house and inside they have laid out a full Thanksgiving dinner. And they say, hey, come here, eat. So in one, I had a little bit of desire, and I got a candy bar. That's good. In another, I had an immense amount of desire, and I get a Thanksgiving dinner. In which one is my joy greater? Second one. Because the desire was greater. I would say joy not only directly relates to the greatness of the desire, it relates to, and this is pretty obvious, getting that thing, okay? If you really want something, you might go on the internet and research it. Let's say, you know, it was a car or something. You might go on the internet and research what's this feature compared to this feature, this brand, this whatever it is. And there's some joy in that. Well, it's kind of fun to shop around, window shopping. I don't know. What is it now? Looking online. Screen shopping, maybe? I don't know. Just looking right. There's some fun in that. But how much greater is it when you get that thing? See, now I have it. Jalissa's wanting a baby, I'm guessing, right about now, right? She's waiting. She's about a week overdue. Yeah. She earnestly desires. And I think there's some joy, I hope, in knowing that they're going to have this baby. But that is so small compared to the joy that she's going to have actually holding that baby to get the thing that is desired. So joy relates to the greatness of the desire, receiving the thing that is desired. And number three, the ability of that thing to sustain the joy. Go back to the car illustration. Imagine you've done all the research. You've figured out the perfect car, the perfect color, the perfect trim package, everything you want. You go and you get the car. You're ecstatic. You've received the thing of this great desire. You have the car. In the next two weeks, it breaks down constantly. Is there joy there? No, that's a nightmare. Because the thing that you have received cannot sustain the joy. Now think about what we have in Christ. We looked about in our, we looked at in our Genesis series, we're wired for a relationship with God. We were created for it. Whether we understand that or not, whether we get that or comprehend it, it is an absolute truth. We were made for, we have within us a deep 
need and therefore a deep desire to have a relationship with God. The world may not get that. We don't always get that. But everything we seek for in this world, everything we look for for fulfillment, even things that are sinful, are ultimately our effort to fulfill what is actually a desire for God. We have the desire. It is a great desire. We have received the fulfillment of that desire in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has the absolute ability to sustain our joy. He has met our deepest need. So there is joy to be found in Christ that I would say is greater, deeper, more secure than anything else in the entire world. Joy is an essential part of salvation. Therefore, we must fight for it. As Christians, I think we become too passive toward joy. We kind of sit back and say, well, I'm just not really feeling it right now. I don't feel joy in my relationship with God. I, I don't feel joy in my walk with Christ. I don't, I don't feel joy. I mean, look at the world. Dave, if you only knew what was going on in my life and all the situations that were happening, how am I supposed to have joy? Imagine a husband coming to me and saying, I don't feel love for my wife. I just, I just don't feel it right now. Let me tell you about the things that are going on. We had this argument and this is going on with the kids and my job's doing this and I just, I don't feel love. Am I going to sit back and say, well, you know, I'll pray that the feeling comes back. I hope you feel better. I hope maybe possibly at some point you start feeling love for your wife again. Is that how we would respond? No, you know what I would tell that husband? You've got to fight for the love for your wife. Get up off your seat and do something to love your wife. Don't just sit around waiting for it. You are commanded to love your wife. You made a vow to love your wife. Do it. Fight for it. It is worth fighting for. I think, I hope, I pray, you would agree with me in the marriage. But do we see it as just important when it comes to our Christian joy in Jesus Christ? So why should we fight for joy? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to give you a couple reasons to help you to see why I'm saying we need to fight for joy. And the first one is we must fight for joy because joy is a command. It is not just some hoped-for byproduct of our Christian life. It is actually commanded in Scripture. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, like many of his other books, as letters to churches saying, hey guys, this is what's important. This is what you need to be doing. And in Philippians, in particular, he mentions joy a whole lot. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's like Paul saying, okay, I want to make sure they didn't get that. I better write it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do you think at this moment Paul considers that optional? No. He is commanding the Christians through the power of Jesus Christ, you need to rejoice in the Lord. We must fight for joy because it is a command. We must do this always, as this passage says, because our joy in Christ is not something that is optional and it's not something that depends on situations. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we live by faith, not by sight. And what that's saying is you may look at your life, you may look at your family, your relationships, your job, your home, whatever it is. You might look at these things and say, Dave, I've got no real reason for joy here. It's falling apart. 
I'm struggling to get by day by day. You're telling me to have joy, and, and I see nothing that has joy. And, and we have to understand faith says, okay, I see all that. I choose to look through it to something I believe in. I believe that in Jesus Christ, I have a joy that nothing can rob me of. A joy that goes beyond every circumstance. We live by faith, not by sight. Therefore, we can fight for joy because it's commanded. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Because the first reason we must fight for joy is because it's a command. The second reason, and this is profound, we must fight for joy because it is listed as a reason for which Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross for joy. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This means that as Jesus looked at the cross and everything he was going to go through there, and elsewhere in Scripture we could go to the the important message, he went to the cross for us to pay the price for our sins, to restore us to right relationship with God, to bring us into his heavenly home, to reign with him forever and ever. Yes, that's all part of the cross. But Hebrews 12.2 right here says, Jesus looked at the cross and said, there's joy on the other side there. There's something about what I'm going to accomplish on the cross that will bring me and everybody else joy. So as Christians, if we give up on joy, if we treat it as optional and we just let it go, we're scorning one of the reasons for which Jesus went to the cross. Something that he accomplished for us. Turn to John chapter 17. John 17 verse 5. Jesus died on the cross for our joy and then invites us, or for his joy first, it's what Hebrews 12, 2 said, and then he's inviting us into that joy. In John 17, Jesus is sitting with his disciples uh, in the upper room. It's, it's this beautiful conversation that he has with them and then ends up being a prayer right before he's arrested and then later crucified. And so in John 17, verse 5, he says, And now, Father, he's praying, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus is saying, God, the Father, he's talking to God, the Father, I have this incredible relationship with you, this glorious relationship that we share. Then skip down to verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Do you know a really neat way to think about salvation? Jesus, God the Son, has this perfect relationship with God the Father. This perfect, loving, glorifying relationship with great joy. And in salvation, Jesus is saying, come on, I want to share that with you. This thing that I have with God the Father that we've had from eternity past and we will have to eternity future, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be right there sharing it with us. 
My friend Dave's a fisherman. He's not here this morning. He's recovering from back surgery. And there are times when I'm out on the boat with Dave and we're fishing and Dave's really serious about fishing. I'm just there for, you know, whatever happens. And, and he's talking about fishing and lures and this cast and that cast and this spot and that spot. And, and in my mind, I go back to friends throughout my life that I know just love fishing. And I think in that moment, I, I wish my buddy Kevin was here. I met Kevin in Connecticut. I think he lives, I don't know where he lives now, to be honest, Virginia, I think. And I just think, oh, Kevin loves fishing. He would actually know what Dave's talking about. He would, I just, it would be so great if Kevin was here to, to share this joy with us. Now, does that mean that somehow my relationship with Dave and that situation of fishing is, is not enough? Does it mean that I'm, I'm lacking in joy because my buddy Kevin's not there? No. It's a wonderful time. But I just want to share it with somebody. And that's what God the Father and God the Son are doing in salvation. They are sharing their joy with us. We must fight for joy because Christ died on the cross for joy. And finally, we must fight for joy because joy brings glory to God. Turn to Habakkuk. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. So go to Matthew, or the beginning of Matthew, and just start going to the left. You'll find it eventually. It's before Zephaniah. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. The end of the Old Testament was a dark time. The prophets were coming to the people and and sometimes giving them comfort, but often announcing judgments that were coming. The people were not being faithful to God. They were really, really struggling. Their lives were not going well. Here's God's people but they're suffering and they're struggling. And at the end of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk writes this, starting in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. And let's just stop there. This is a a farmer society. So he's just listed everything of failure, 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 failure. World is falling apart. That's how we need to read that. We could put modern spin on it. We could put oppression. We could put nuclear things. We could put injustice. We could put abortion. We could put anything in there. This is disaster. Horrible things are going on. The worst possible things. That's what he's listing. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Look at verse 18. Yet I will what? Rejoice. I will rejoice In the Lord, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Does joy hinge on or is it based on our situations? Absolutely not. It's based on who God is and what God is doing. That's why we must fight for joy with faith. Now, oh, and finally, one thing I don't want to forget We must fight for joy because it's essential to bringing others to Christ. I mean, who wants to come into a relationship where there's no joy? Us Christians, we're just miserable and a bunch of sinners and we have to feel guilty about our sin. We get together, you know, to put our time in at church, but, you know, we hope people go to heaven, but in the meantime, life just stinks. Whoo, sign me up. I want to come to know Jesus. That would be great. Joy overflows. 
Now, we don't have joy simply because it wins people to Jesus Christ. We have joy because we have Christ. But when somebody has joy in something, go back to the car example. When somebody close to you gets that car that they really, really like, can you get them to stop talking about it? If you're going to talk to me right now, you know, privately, one-on-one, you're probably going to hear about our house and all the things we're doing because it's I have great joy in it. A lot of agony, but we have a lot of great joy as well. It's a big part of what's going on in my life. If you're a huge sports fan and your sports team wins and you have great joy, guess what you're going to do? You're going to talk to other people whether they care about it at all or not because joy overflows. Christians, we need to have our joy in Jesus Christ. We need to fight for it because the world needs to see a joy they're not going to find anywhere else. And they need to look at us and say, man, there's something different. I I want what that person has. We have got to fight for joy. Now, here's my fear if we stop here. If we stop here, you might be thinking, great, Pastor Dave. Here's another thing for me to feel guilty about this Christmas season. I'm supposed to fight for joy. I'm not really feeling up to the fight. I have some good news for you. The fight for joy begins with faith. It starts there. It doesn't start with going to the gym and working out. It doesn't start with, you know, putting on your big Christian shoes and doing Christian things. It starts with faith. Do I truly believe? We need to have faith that God really is our greatest need. Think about that. Pray through that. The things you want in your life, think about that. How is that actually my trying to fulfill my desire for God? Whether it's security, power, Money, love, affection, whatever it is. See, those are the things I actually have in God. We need to have faith that God really is our greatest need. We need to have faith that God has already provided salvation. We lose our joy so often when we think everything's falling apart. But if we can stop in that moment and say, wait a minute, we have a Savior. I am saved by Jesus Christ. Man, the world can fall apart. I am saved by Jesus Christ. We need to have faith that the fight for joy has already been won. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. You see, we don't manufacture joy. We trust that God has given us joy and we live it out. The fight for joy has already been won by Jesus Christ. We need to live in that victory. The fight for joy begins with faith, but it can't just stop there. It can't just stop with, well, I believe. I believe it. That's enough. The fight for joy needs to be a fight to know God better. Our faith can only be as strong as our knowledge of God. Our joy in Christ can only be as great as the amount that we know about who Christ is and what he's done for us and the closeness of that relationship. The fight for joy is a fight to put God first, to find our greatest delight in him. In Psalms 37, verse 4, there's a command, delight yourself in the Lord. It's a choice in every situation. I will choose joy in God. And then to never settle for joy stealers. Listen to John 3:19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We allow joy stealers into our life. We allow substitute things to come in and steal our joy because we think that's going to give us joy. We love darkness instead of light. 
We need to look at things in our life and say, that will not sustain my joy. It's not good enough. It's not big enough. It's not strong enough. I need Jesus Christ. I will fight for the joy that is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. Ultimately, our problem is not that we desire too little. I think sometimes we we grow up or we live, if you're brought up in the church, we live under this sort of oppressive, you want too much, you should want less, Jesus wants you to have left, you, you just need less and less and less. Now, some people have reacted against that by saying, well, you just need more, and if God really loves you, he'll make you rich and, and healthy and wealthy and all those sorts of things. That's the wrong thing. But there is a truth that is in the middle there, that our, our problem is not that we desire too much, it's that we desire too little. We've settled for mediocre desires instead of settling our desire and our joy and firmly on who God is and saying, God, I want what you want. If that leads to greatness for me, great. If that leads to utter poverty, that's the best thing for me. I want what you want, period. And then the fight for joy is fought through obedience. As Romans 12.2 says, to be transformed in our lives by God, to walk in step with Him. Sometimes, in our zeal to get to the gift, we throw away the wrapping paper. Don't throw away joy this season. It is not the wrapping. It is part of the gift itself. John 15, 11, Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I assume that Jesus Christ is the most joyous person in the entire world. He has everything he could ever want. He's accomplished everything he set out to do. He reigns supreme over heaven and earth. And Jesus says, that joy that I feel, that he feels, he says, come here, I want to share it with you. I want my joy to be in you, that your joy may be complete. That is the good news that causes great joy for all the people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it's hard to think of the command to find joy in you. Because I think so often we take that to mean we just need to put on our happy face. God, joy is so much deeper than the moment-by-moment happiness. There is joy when we are shedding tears, when we are weeping in agony over the loss of a loved one, but through faith in that situation and even in the sorrow saying, I have a hope, I have a Savior, I have that anchor for my souls, my soul that nothing can move, nothing can change. I have joy even in sorrow. We can have joy in agony. We can have joy in loss. And God, I pray, may we have joy in Christmas that we have a Savior born in a manger, lived among us as Emmanuel, God with us, died on a cross, the perfect substitute for us, taking our sin, our shame, our guilt, and doing away with it forever, rising victorious to new life, and then inviting us, come, share my joy. Father, thank you for that kind of joy. May we live that, may we fight for that, And may it overflow in our lives so that others may come and see and want to know the joy of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.